Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hamer and I'm an international business coach and serial entrepreneur. This podcast is designed for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that can help you to accelerate your success by building your own brand you. Hello everyone and welcome to this feature length episode of Building Brand You. I am delighted to introduce my special guest today, Laurie Van. Laurie is an international speaker media guest and five-time author, and is a regarded behavioural health expert and the founder of Van & Associates, coaching, counselling and consulting. With over 20 years of clinical experience, she has authored five books and having given over 300 media interviews for outlets all over the world, she is seen as the go-to person when behavioural health stories make headlines. Her experiences working at psychiatric hospitals, the nonprofit sector, outpatient clinics, colleges, her own private practice, and consulting with businesses throughout the US have led to her motto of here to serve. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Laurie Van. So, hello, Laurie. How are you today? I am doing very well, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, um, particularly since I accosted you about a week ago and asked you to come on at a big event. So thank you for having the courage to be with us today. It is a pleasure and I am so glad for this opportunity. Excellent, excellent. So uh, listeners, we are speaking to each other tonight um, on opposite sides of the pond. So I'm here in London in the UK and Laurie, where are you? I am in the great state of Texas. Aha. I believe everything's bigger in Texas. Is that true? It is. Yes. There, there's a lot that's much bigger in this state from actual physical uh, size of some things. You know, the largest stake, the largest chairs, the largest whatever to uh, pretty much a, a pretty large motivational attitude of like, go get them. Oh, excellent. I love that. Go get them. So let's go get them straight up, Laurie. The thing I like to do with Building Brand New guests is kind of hand the mic over to you and ask you to share a little bit about you and your story. You know, who is Laurie and what are you all about? So over to you. Well, it's, uh, there's so many different pieces to it. The The basic professional part is that I've been a licensed uh, professional counselor for over 20 years, I think actually going on 23 years at this point. I've worked in a wide variety of locations from inpatient psychiatric, outpatient treatment centers. I've been a director for a nonprofit that specialized in those that had experienced abuse. And then I've been full-time in my own private practice since 2008. have made it through two recessions without too many bumps in a row. So a transition to my passion for helping other small businesses uh, navigate the challenges that are out there because 
definitely in the medical and psychological world, uh, they don't cover anything about business. You get lots of the clinical skills, but nothing on the business end. And I want to try to bless those particular individuals with how to set up and run a practice. And then in doing professional speaking for 20 plus years, I've also uh, helped many businesses through different trainings that I've provided, and now also doing some business consulting for corporations that have questions about behavioral health and how do we attract employees? How do we keep them happy? How do we keep them off disability? Because I have filled out a lot of disability paperwork for employees over the decades. And basically, I have the knowledge that businesses need to know about so that they can keep their employees at work. So that's a little bit of a, a short story. And I'm native Texan and uh, have been you know, very uh, blessed with many opportunities I've had and went to school out in California for undergrad and graduate school and you know, came back home. Excellent. I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about behavioral health. And, and what that is. I think one of the things that there's a lot of talk about, obviously, at the moment, particularly what we've been through, is, is mental health. That is very top of mind, very um, high up on organisations and business agendas. Um, but, but behavioural health is not necessarily uh, a term that a lot of people will be familiar with. So could you talk a little bit about what behavioral health is and perhaps how it's different or overlaps with mental health and its importance in business? It does overlap with mental health. So we've made this transition of trying to destigmatize mental health because we hear mental and the media has definitely contributed to a lot of myths about it and a lot of stigmatization of that for mental health. Because the reality is, is that your brain is an internal organ, just like your heart. And when we say mental health, a lot of times we detach it of like, well, your brain is separate and the body is rest. And, and so we're using more all-encompassing terms of behavioral health because we know it's our behaviors that are the result of that mind-body connection. If you make poor decisions, well, that is a behavioral choice that you are making. Your behaviors will influence how you feel psychologically and physiologically. So it, it's a little bit more inclusive term. And, and that's really where the psychological community is going, is really trying to dispel some of these myths. And how that plays into the business world is helping to have these discussions with employees, with uh, directors and staff members to understand that we need to be looking at the whole individual, the whole uh, picture, and addressing the psychological and physiological aspects of well-being. And I love what you say there about addressing the whole individual. We often think too about, uh, well, work is over there and home is over here, but actually there's a whole of life thing that's going on here as well, isn't there? So, you know, behaviours that happen in one circumstance might show up in another or, you know, might be a result of, of environment, um, all sorts. It's all just in, interconnected, isn't it? A bit like an ecosystem. It, it really is because for 
I mean, the average employee spends the vast majority of their week at work. And even when we were working from home, what the study showed is that most people were working longer hours than if they were physically in their workplace. And they weren't having that separation of work and home life. Even as we return back to offices, we still lack that boundary of separating work is work and home is home because we have the technology and we're really on call 24 seven, or at least some people uh, struggle with that. And so work very often bleeds into personal life. And overall that just robs your quality of life. But we also see the toll that takes physiologically and psychologically and again, it's like, these are things that we really have to address in corporations. And that's some of what I do that I've been speaking on for, I don't know, about 20 something years is boundaries in personal and professional life, both. Uh, particularly for me, I'm, I'm a newer entrepreneur. I've been in the game three years. And one that's been one of the big questions, I guess, is where, where does that boundary sit? How do I make sure that... Uh, I maintain a, a good state of well-being so I can perform at my best, uh, not just in my business, but, you know, in my life with the other important areas of my life. So I'm really interested in this, this discussion on, on boundaries, uh, longer hours, as you said, we're sort of on call 24-7. That's a bit of the mindset, I think, in society, not just with business, but with social media and everything being so accessible. So... Talk to me a little bit about um, sort of the behaviour and the, and the boundaries and perhaps some of the, the most common uh, pitfalls that we all fall, fall over. Well, just within the workday, we have to stop and actually rest our eyes from the screen. Uh, and speaking with someone that is more of a uh, functional medicine doctor, he was explaining to me about the eyes connecting even into the back and that when your eyes start to get tired, it's also indication the rest of your body is getting tired and we tend to slump and we have poor posture, which then creates neck and back strain. And if you're not comfortable, then you're not going to be productive. You're more likely to make mistakes. It's just, you're going to be distracted. So the ability to get up after, and each person's a little different on this, but setting that boundary where we get up about 50 minutes up to maybe 75 minutes tops and you know, leave the computer or just get up from our desk, walk around, just do you know, a couple of minutes, a little stretching, get the blood pumping, resting our eyes. It's not get up from one screen and then look at the other on your little phone but go get hydrated. It's amazing how dehydrated you get when you're in front of a screen and it's just that heat and it just sort of like sucks it out of you. And those are the simple tips for boundary setting, but it's also making that plan that at the end of the day, I have to accept that there are some things that aren't going to get done. And that's where we have to get into prioritizing and also setting boundaries maybe with our managers and directors to say, you know what, you've given me a lot of things. This is what I see as the priorities of the knockoff list. 
what do you see? Because that's what I'm going to focus on first. And I think sometimes people, especially perfectionists, because that's one of my specialty areas too, is working with the wide variety of perfectionists that are out there. They want to do it all. And they feel like they have to do it all. And you can't do it all. You have to prioritize. And I also believe in boundary setting with technology that with very few exceptions, I guess if you're a medical doctor on call, but come bedtime, you turn off the phone, like you put it on silent because your body has to have that rest. And the phone needs to make sure that it doesn't light up, that it's amazing how that light really can totally light up a dark room. And guess what? That interferes with your sleep process. So those are just a couple of the quick ones on a physiological level. Yeah, I can really see that. One of the the couple of things that I've done recently is um, I bought myself uh, one of those uh, watches that connects with your phone. And every Mm -hmm. hour it buzzes and there's a little green man that says, get off your chair, love, it's time for you to do a bit of moving. So, yes. um, you know, it's all very well to set great intentions and all of that sort of thing. I always have a big bottle of water on my desk and my goal is to finish one of those in the morning and one of those in the afternoon. But there's something around not just relying on your own willpower, kind of setting up your environment to help support some of those those behaviors. Uh, And the other thing I have always done, my phone is not in my bedroom. It doesn't come into my bedroom. Um, It charges in a separate room. I had someone ask me once, well, what do you use for an alarm? I said, an alarm clock. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it really interesting that there are some, some simple things that we really don't think of, and we've just gotten into the habit of doing things in a certain way? It really is. Absolutely. And those that are working from home, I, I feel particularly for those individuals, because I think it is more difficult unless you put processes or put things in place to really separate that work home life. And what I encourage is if you have a home office, so to speak, and if you're in apartments, then you're probably going to have to buy some kind of screen that you literally put around the desk so that there's a visual separation. And when you leave, if you have an actual dedicated office with the door on it, that come whatever time it is, it's you close that door and you don't go back into it and to train yourself to see it as, this is just as if I were at the workplace. That if I were going into an office, I wouldn't drive back there at 10 o'clock respond to an email, I would say, you know what, the email rates waits till tomorrow morning. Mm, yeah, the phone beeps. And it's like a little, little shot of, of, of happy drug, isn't it? And we go, oh, yes. let's have a look at what that is. We've been so wired, haven't we? And it's just often about noticing what we're doing, and then putting something in place to say, ah, there I go again, put it down, don't look and building some new muscles and new habits. You know, one of the habits that I've instilled is on Saturdays, I don't turn on my laptop, that it's here at my house because Thursday through Sunday, I work from home unless I'm speaking or there's some exception to it. But 
I don't turn on my laptop on Saturdays and it's just sort of a rule and I don't turn it on until usually Sunday early evening. So I can sort of get an idea of, okay, what is Monday going to look like? Is there something else that I need to work on? And it's just running two different businesses. It's like, okay, Thursday, Friday is one part of the business and Sunday starts to move into the counseling part of the business. That's really interesting. So how do you juggle those different parts of the of the business? Because I think uh, for a lot of people, it feels like there's just a lot of spinning plates and I'm running backwards and forwards trying not to have anything smash, which can be quite stressful and lead to long hours and hunching over computers and things like that. So what do you do about trying to manage all of those spinning plates and the different parts of your business? It's and I'm not perfect. There's a lot of times that I'll say things and that little voice back here. It's like, "Mm -hmm. hypocrite, are you? Are you listening to what you're saying? So I'm not perfect on it. It's It's a process. And if there are some silver linings to the especially the early COVID piece of it, when we were all forced to stay home and being a counselor and in Texas, Uh, We were considered first responders, so I could actually go into my office. I was never blocked from it Um, and actually did see some clients in person because of the nature of those situations. Online was not an option. Mm. Uh, But, you know, with that being said, I was uh, home on Thursdays, and that's usually one of my counseling office days and doing that for about a month or so, I realized I like this. I I really like being home on Thursdays and Fridays. And I'm like, I'm going to move towards making this a a regular part. And it went from doing a half day at home on a Thursday to now it's a full day. Thursday, Friday is at home. And that's where I work on the other business piece. Because I realized trying to be at the counseling office four days a week and trying to work on the speaking part and the coaching part. And also, you know, this year I launched the Institute for Non-Suicidal Self-Injury. It's like, I have to be much more judicious with my time and really pay attention to which days are dedicated to just those particular parts of the business and other days are dedicated to that. And I've also learned to delegate more and use resources. And thankfully, I've I found some, some good solutions to help, help carry things out and starting to understand my numbers more, being better mm-hmm. about knowing my numbers and going, oh, you know what? That, huh, yeah, I actually can do that if I'm doing this. Oh, okay, this works. Mm. It's a constant discovery, isn't it? I think that's life. It's not just business. It's not just entrepreneurship. It is a constant, "Uh uh-huh, oh, I haven't thought about that before. Let's give that a go, shall we? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you you mentioned you've just, um, you know, set up uh, an institute. Is that a big part of your work? Has that been driven by what you've seen over the last couple of years? Tell me a little bit about that. 
for non-suicidal self-injury and for those that aren't familiar with the term, uh, self-harm is another uh, term we use and that's cutting, burning, scratching, picking, hitting. I literally can name 28 different forms that I've documented in the 20 years of me working with it and researching it and treating almost 600 clients with a history. And it, it was something that I stumbled upon the behavior. It, we didn't cover it in graduate school. And it, it happened when I was an intern working on my hours. My, at that point, it was 2,000 hours of internship. And one person became two. I worked in patient psych. I had adults that were doing it. And it's like, oh, well, this is news. And have had individuals from as young as three or four years of age up through their 60s that participate in the behavior. And within my area, in the North Texas area, there wasn't anyone really talking about it or doing trainings. And so I sort of got volunteered into it. And over the last 20 years, it's just gone from there and ended up writing four books on the topic. One of my books is on four different continents. Still pretty mind-blowing to me to think of it. Yeah, just in doing all the trainings, and there is such a massive need. Uh, and it's a universal thing. I mean, it's literally an international epidemic, and it was an epidemic long before COVID was an epidemic. It's just one of those taboo things, and people are really uncomfortable talking about it because they don't understand it. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, you know, with such a, with such an intense, I guess, topic and basis for discussion, I mean, there must be, you know, it must be sometimes challenging to sort of maintain, you know, your equilibrium and perhaps well-being in the face of some of the, the, the clients, the patients that you, that you see it must be um, quite a, a discipline, I guess, to try and manage, manage yourself in that. For those that are counselors and licensed counselors, because I've been training them for 18 years, it's a situation that every person has some kind of gift. Every person has some type of job they are well suited for. And part of my job and school's jobs are to find people that are meant to be counselors and have the boundary to be a counselor. That at the end of the day, you can shut it off. That when I leave the office, I'm not thinking about my cases. And it's something you either have or you don't. But if you don't, you're going to get burnt out. And Ooh. that's I have definitely seen individuals like that. I have trained counselors that we've had the discussion that, you know what, private practice isn't probably going to be a good thing for you. I've had some that, yeah, working inpatient psychiatric is not going to be a good fit for you at this point in time. Or say, you know what, there's a lot of other things you can do with this degree and license. And that includes even working at insurance companies to quote the benefits or to do case reviews. So even within the field of counseling, there's so many different roles people could fit, but it's so incredibly important to know your limits and to set those emotional boundaries. And I mean, is it that I've been able to not think about some cases like never, ever, ever once I'm home? 
no, some human. And there are some cases that bother me that it was an injustice and there is nothing I could do about that situation with the kid that my hands were tied. And then I had to take comfort of, I have done everything that I could possibly do. And the rest just have to leave it up to the legal system and prayer and hopefully it works out somehow. But you play your part in the in the chain in the ecosystem yeah it's funny we come back to that conversation about boundaries and limits again don't we that's a very you know we've sort of come from that initial discussion about uh, behavioral health and setting boundaries and talking about working from home and all of a sudden we're back to boundaries again so it's I, I think for me it boundary setting is a is a human conundrum a little bit, isn't it? It feels like it comes up everywhere. I have discussions with um, clients. I'm not a counsellor. I'm a, you know, a business coach. I specialise in personal branding. But one of the biggest challenges is about, well, you know, if you're being out there and you're promoting yourself and all of that sort of thing, um, be authentic and be real about who you are, but be aware of where the boundaries are. Don't put everything out there there's some stuff that's personal and private to you and you don't have to share everything and what you do share you need to be ready for for whatever will happen you have to have some resilience about it so I think there's there's something isn't there about about boundaries and I, I feel like I got set lots of boundaries as a child um but I've had to relearn to set my own as I've grown up whether they're at work or in relationships or or that sort of thing do you do you find that you mentioned um you work with young people particularly and you know are you finding that that arc tends to happen you know we start with boundaries because that's what parents and life gives us and then we're not very good at setting them for ourselves yeah well and the the unfortunate thing is a lot of times parents haven't been role modeling boundaries it's very much this you know, trickle down effect that if one generation didn't teach good boundaries, then the next generation doesn't know what to do. And then the next one doesn't know what to do. And that's one of the things that I've definitely seen in my office is that parents that are, say, in their 30s, maybe 40s now, that maybe their parents didn't do such a great job, maybe a little bit lenient in nature. And now they're they have kids that they're bringing in to the office going, you know, they're out of control. They don't listen to me. They're disrespectful and I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, what consequences did you give them? What rules, what guidelines? Well, I mean, we've said this. I'm like, and where was the follow through? And they're like, well, and so often I see this, this very interesting mix that they're like, well, at school, they're a great student and they're, the teachers think they're wonderful, but at home, they're terrible. I'm like, okay, well, the difference is at school, there are expectations and rules and consequences and at your house, there's not. And humans need guidelines. They need to have rules and boundaries and natural consequences must take place. In a workplace environment, the same principles apply that there's an employee handbook, there's protocol, there are consequences if you don't follow the protocol. 
And when that's consistently implemented and followed through with, you have respect from the employees. You have a well-functioning environment. When people feel it's sort of haphazard, it's inconsistent, you lose all sorts of things in that workplace. And, and even within setting boundaries, one of the things I talk with businesses about is not micromanaging employees, because that is a mistake I've seen happen on many occasions, especially when employees are coming to my office because they're so stressed out. And now we're filling out disability paperwork because they've been so micromanaged. Mm, mm. There's a it's a spectrum, isn't it, about, you know, this completely hands off and this completely hands on. And somewhere in the middle is kind of like the perfect storm of both those things, isn't it? And I guess different individuals respond differently along that spectrum. You know, I'm I'm very autonomous. I don't like having my hand held and I like to do things on my own. So I'm at sort of one end, perhaps, of the spectrum. But I do like to understand what the boundaries are. Uh, I will ask questions about, okay, so what's the framework? What's the outcome that we're looking for? Because then I feel that gives me uh, the rules of the game, yes. if you like, to to play in. And I think that's a, a really interesting thing as well is that, you know, we grow up watching sport and playing sport. Well, many of us do. I'm Australian. Everybody plays sport in Australia. Sport is full of rules, yet we you know, you you made a really good point, I think, about role models. We emulate what we see. It's a bit of that do as I, don't do as I say, do as I do kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's something that we talk a lot about in, in coaching is about, you know, how are you really showing up? Yes. You know, is the, the first thing people think about you um, when they, top of mind, is you're always late or you're super organised or you're very helpful or you're, got a short temper or you know, that that top of mindness and that how you show up is so intrinsic to our brand or who we are as human beings in society isn't it it is because we are known by our actions it, it's one thing that i've repeatedly said in, in coaching and trainings that i've given and and counseling is that actions will always speak louder than words words are cheap i mean it at the end of the day, words are just words. People know you by your actions. And that absolutely uh, applies across the continuum from personal to professional life. And so if you have, let's say, a CEO of the company that slots off and they're cutting corners and all that, that's the role model they're giving their vice president and they're giving to everyone else underneath them. Mm. And one concern that I've had, and it's just, again, these are employees from Fortune 500 companies that come to me and they tell me about the lack of leadership in their companies and that it seems like we have this, this concern that people are becoming managers and directors that have no training in those positions. And so they lack the leadership and then it leaves chaos and sometimes even resentment for those that they're trying to serve over. So yes, there are all sorts of issues with role modeling. Yeah, and all sorts of opportunities, I guess, as well. But it starts with self, doesn't it? It starts with taking stock of of who 
you are and I guess taking responsibility or ownership of the choices and and the behaviors that you put out there in the world and sometimes our behavior is not very clever and is not very smart and it's about being responsible and showing up and owning that as well you know I'm talking more generally and and you're obviously you know dealing with people who um, often have much more serious issues self-harm and that sort of thing is it the same principle of owning the behavior and understanding it or is there something else that usually at at play without going into too much you know personal detail of course I don't want you to break any confidences well it's over the 20 years I've developed what I call the the bayonet tree model for lack of a better way to put it and if you imagine a tree, the top of it, it uh, unhealthy, a dying tree, uh, to give that context, behaviors are like the top of the tree. It's the, the leaves that are dead and decaying, and they're just sort of there. And that's what gets our attention is we automatically put our sights to a behavior. And within that, that is a whole spectrum of things. I mean, it's not just more severe things like self-injury or eating disorder or substance use, which as a little note, substance abuse is a form of self-injury. It's just internally done. It's internal scarring versus outward scarring. But when we look at gambling, that's one of those unhealthy behaviors. Gaming, I mean, how many people are addicted to gaming? Social media addiction, technology as a whole, um, there's all sorts of distractions and unhealthy things. Pornography would be in yet another that are those behaviors. And when you start to go down that tree, you look at, okay, well, what's influencing it? Well, usually it's anger, sadness, depression, anxiety, worry, fear of some sort. And then you go down to the trunk of the tree and those are the boundaries. Those are the relationships that you have with people. and Oftentimes, people, if they are really struggling with life, they fall on one end or the other of the continuum. And on the one end, people are very closed off emotionally, usually because it comes from a place of hurt. I got burnt. I don't want to get burnt again. So I'm just going to be closed off. And unfortunately, they still end up being hurt because it's a very lonely existence. Or more times than not, they tend to go more to the people-pleasing side. And they're yes people and the go-along to get along. And those are the ones that are probably at increased risk for burnout and going on disability because they're not good with setting those boundaries. And so then you get into the root system and that's the core. And that's what I really target. And that is the personal responsibility piece because the core of that root system Those are the beliefs you have about yourself. And I use a handout, it's called the Bill of Rights, and it has like 25 different things on it. And it's, I have the right to my opinion. I have the right to my feelings. I have the right to be happy, but I'm the one that must take responsibility for that. I have the right to make a mistake and actually be human because nobody's perfect. And like so many others, but the thing is people go, well, oftentimes they've never been told that either very directly or they or they were told you have no rights and they were directly say that or indirectly. And at some point you have to take the ownership and say, even though no one's told me this or people told me the exact opposite, I now have to make the decision to change and understand my beliefs about myself have an 
absolute impact on all other aspects of my life. Those decisions, I believe, become a mark of who you are. And they, they, they show up when you are with other people, I think, whether they're really overt or whether there's something that, that people sense but can't quite see. I think those choices really do run the show, don't they? They do, because if you don't think that you have the right to your opinion, then people are going to walk all over you. And if you feel like you don't have the right to speak up and protect yourself and feel worthy of respect, well, in the end, people treat you as well as you treat yourself. That's just one of those factual things. I mean, there's maybe some exceptions out there, but generally speaking, if you're not taking care of yourself, other people get the message, well, if you don't care about you, why should I care about you? And so then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So in a workplace, as entrepreneurs, as you start to take on employees or, or part-time contract workers, be aware of the message that you're giving them. Are you giving, hey, I'm trying to give you trust. I'm trying to help build that motivation, that self-initiative, that respect piece of it. Or am I going to micromanage you, which is basically saying, I don't trust you and I don't respect you. And guess what kind of performance you're going to get out of that? It, it, it is a really um, important leadership and management skill, both, I think, is to, to understand how you're showing up and how if you're not getting what you want, it's probably something that you're doing or that you haven't you know, addressed fully or, you know, need to adjust. I, I'm such a big believer in that. And, you know, we we train people the way we behave towards ourselves. We are training people as to how we we are prepared to be treated. So yes. that's another conversa- coaching conversation I have a lot. I sort of say, well, you've just given that person the answer instead of having them go off and look for the answer themselves and do the work. So now what you've done is train them that every time they have a question, they come to you instead of looking at the answer for themselves. And there's some really simple automatic things we do. We go, oh, it'd be just quicker if I did it myself or gave you the answer or just told you what to do. Um, and But yeah. <laughs> well, and people bring up you know, a valid point because that's one of those differences in coaching and counseling. There's a whole lot of overlap between the two of them. Uh, and that you know, it does provide me with a unique, I guess, a unique selling point, for lack of a better word, is that I do coaching, but I have the clinical background behind it to understand what needs to go into a counseling format and what needs to be a coaching format. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that whole self-discovery part, yes, that's there. Counseling tends to focus more on that self-discovery piece. It's a little bit different pacing of things and coaching tends to be like no here more direct it's it's the shortcut piece Mm. in the end I mean when I do intakes with counseling clients I tell them look my goal is not to keep you in counseling it it's not so don't worry about that my goal is we're going to get in here you have goals we're going to target them I'm going to help you with tools I want you to create a binder with the handouts that I give you. And this would apply to coaching too. And that way, when something pops up, 
after we've stopped meeting, you go to that binder first so that you can use those tools. And then if it's something new or something you're sort of stuck in, then yeah, come back. It's all cool. But it's, I want you to have that self-efficacy. I want you to have that belief in yourself that you can solve your own problems. You just need to have the tools to do it. Absolutely. It's kind of, let me give you the kit, give you a bit of coaching and send you off. Let me know if the arrow falls out of the quiver or the bow breaks or anything like that. But, um, and I'm a big fan of that myself. We met a couple of years ago at um, a big event called Mega Success in LA, where I actually saw you on stage with Dr. <laughs> Phil McGraw, which was awesome. And then we met up again uh, in the last week uh, at the Mega Success event in, in Florida. So what have you got coming up now? Is it just Christmas around the corner for you? Or, or what other things um, are, you, are you planning and doing to kick off 2022? Lots of irons in the fire because it is, and this has been a, a shift in mindset because in prior to coaching, it would have been, oh, the last two weeks, those are sort of the blow-offs and nah, da, 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 da. And one of the benefits, I think, of mega success happening in December being later is it keeps that momentum of like, yeah, I've only got two weeks to implement some of these things that I've taken notes on that I want to get changed. So they're up and ready to go that first month of 22. But I mean, yes, there is still going to be family time. It's like Christmas. No, not touching the computer. Yeah. For Christmas day. And, you know, maybe that weekend, not touching the computer. It's being very present with my family because they deserve that. Um, and, you know, I deserve so do you. to be yes. there too. Yes. And to be present. Uh, because life is short. And I think that's one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is you can never make assumptions, never, ever assume that there's going to be another opportunity, another chance. So always be present here and now. Yeah, I'm looking at my speaking schedule and I have two events for January and February. I'll be uh, going back to Florida for uh, some coaching gig to you know work with Fred uh, fish back at his house. And then I also have a speaking event that's also in February as well. And so now it's starting to plan out the speaking because the conference takes care of itself. That it's sort of like the autopilot of like, that's the, the part of the business I don't have to spend lots of time on because those referrals just come in constantly. So you know, my part of transitioning of getting more of the webinars up and going, some of the programs I've already recorded, and just trying to find ways to serve businesses as a behavioral health consultant. Brilliant. Well, we've been talking for about 45 minutes now. Do you have like a nugget for building brand new listeners? What would be, you know, something you'd like to leave them with today that perhaps they could take away and, and implement uh, in the next few days? I do. It goes to a tagline or a hashtag that I frequently use, and, it, and it's very much a mindset thing. And I always say here to serve. That's the hashtag. And when you, whether you're an entrepreneur, or you're working for someone else, that attitude of 
You're here to serve. You're here to make the world a better place. You're here to help even it's just that one person, that one moment. And when you have that attitude of service versus taking, it shifts everything else. It's not saying that you give away everything. It's not saying that you sacrifice your health for it. But the attitude of instead of seeing someone as just a, a customer, just transactional like that, how can I serve them to help their life be better? And I also believe in businesses giving back in whatever way they can. Like for this morning, I spent several hours at a community enrichment center that's in Texas and putting together the, the Santa bags for kids that aren't going to have a Christmas otherwise, and just putting together their toys and putting together the food bags. And it's you can find the time to volunteer if you have the attitude of wanting to serve. So it's it's a game changer mindset. Yeah, there's something about generosity, isn't there? Generosity brings generosity. Yeah. And if people would like to get in touch with you, find out more about what you do or potentially book you for a speaking gig, it'd be lovely if you came over to London, if you're allowed to travel. I would love to. You know, anybody London. in London would like to book Laurie to speak, you know, I'm happy to show her around and make sure she's okay. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you? Well, the easiest thing is I'll just give the direct email. And that's, it's my name. So it's Lori, L-O-R-I at LoriVan.com. So L-O-R-I, V as in Victor, A-N, Nancy, N, Nancy.com. You can also go to the website, LoriVan.com. And that has media interviews on it. It has the speaking part of it. Uh, also on social media, you can easily find me on Facebook. The business for counseling is vanassociates.com. So that's the website. It's also on Facebook page. And I'm on Instagram, Lori Van Authority Speaking and Lori Van Coaching and Institute for NSSI. Brilliant. Um, listeners, we will put all of that in the show notes. So you, if you're frantically scribbling that down and wanting to rewind the, the episode, you don't really have to. So really, there's nothing more for me to, to say, Laurie, other than thank you so much for your time and generosity and for just saying yes to the mad Australian British woman who accosted <laughs> you a week ago and said, come on my show. <laughs> No, thank you so much for the opportunity because I get super passionate and excited talking about behavioral health and and just service and how we can start to turn the tide on a lot of the, the very serious things our world is dealing with. Yeah, and, and what a great cause that is, here to serve. Remember that, everybody, hashtag here to serve. And on that note... Have a brilliant week and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Building Brand New podcast. I'm Kim Hamer. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And for all the latest news and tips, become a member of the brand new Building Brand New Facebook group. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com 
forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.